Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Table Talk, discussions of church, theology, and culture. My name is Luke. I am the family and ministry coordinator here at CBC Elderton. With me, as always, is Andrew Hall, lead pastor of CBC Elderton. Andrew, this is our second episode now. We're looking at the atonement leading up to Easter. We'll be spending the next five weeks talking about the atonement. And last week, we sort of gave an overview of what, what the atonement is, the centrality of the cross, why the cross and atonement are so important. We looked at how it is really the at the center of all of our theology and also the center of the, uh, the first five books of the Bible as well in a, in a literary sense. And now we want to get a little deeper this week thinking about atonement specifically. It, if any of you listening were to go to a book on systematic theology and open up to the chapter on atonement, what you'll find quickly is that there, there's a lot to say. This is a, it's a very complex topic. There's a lot to talk about. And atonement has many facets and elements and there there isn't necessarily uh, across the board agreement on which elements are more important, which are less important, which are there, which aren't there. there. There's lots to talk about. And so we want to talk this week about pictures of the atonement. This is a way that often when you learn theology, this is talked about. We, we have atonement as this broad category, mm-hmm. and then you can That's use right. sort of various metaphors to, uh, to understand it. Some people, or some of them are helpful. Some people have positive metaphors that are maybe less helpful. And so we, we want to take a little bit of time this week looking at pictures of the atonement. What are ways that we can sort of wrap our minds around this big and somewhat daunting theological concept? How can, how can we start to think about it. And so we're going to frame this up with a question. I'll, I'll toss this to you, Andrew, and then mm-hmm. we can we can use that as our jumping off point. What did the cross accomplish? Yeah, this is a big, big question. Um, what the cross accomplishes is it deals with the problem of sin. And sin is not just a little problem. It's a cosmic problem. Mm-hmm. And that means because it's cosmic, it touches every aspect and area of life. And so... One of, one of the things then that we need is we, we need to, to have the, the issues of sin, which are various and multifaceted, each one of them addressed. So, so what the cross does is uh, we could go to Ephesians 1, where Paul talks about, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. He, he outlines all these various aspects of what the cross has done. Um, he's removed the penalty that we deserve for uh, a, a person who is treasonous deserves death uh, for betraying their country. We've betrayed God, so we deserve death. Um, we, we have this cosmic power, sin, sin controls and it dominates. Uh, and so we need the power of sin broken. And so we can talk about each one of those aspects so just consider forgiveness. Forgiveness, we need atonement uh, because forgiveness means I am foregoing the right. I'm giving up the right to get even. Mm-hmm. And so in that, there is an aspect of suffering that when I choose not to get even with someone, that instead of me inflicting vengeance upon them for doing wrong or getting a payment for their wrongdoing, I am choosing to incur the suffering myself. 
So forgiveness has this has this picture of atonement in it. Uh, redemption. Mm-hmm, that's uh, a big one. A redemption is just simply the idea of buying someone back from from slavery, from from the marketplace. And, and this is how it was primarily used in the Old Testament and the New Testament, mm-hmm. is that to be redeemed was to be uh, a person who was either an indentured servant, uh, you had gotten yourself into a, a mess financially, you, you sold yourself into slavery, it's not like man-stealing. But it was it was a way of trying to deal with with enormous amounts of debt, and so you'd sell yourself. And so, if someone purchased you, redeemed you, then they were purchasing you out of that slave market. Um, even just the idea of of being ransomed, we yeah. we have this idea in our language uh, when someone gets kidnapped and mm-hmm. there is a request for a payment. Uh, this is this is uh, Jesus. He says in in Mark ten forty five. Uh, the Son of Man did not come to serve, uh, come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he is he is dealing with the payment for mm-hmm. sin, and so all of these ways uh, we have these various pictures of what the cross is accomplishing. All of the aspects of sin, how it creates us to be in bondage, how it creates a, a barrier between a relate in a relationship, how we need to be freed all of those things, defeating power, all of those pictures are displayed in the cross. And as a, as a bit of a side note uh, for our listeners, as you're reading the Old Testament, this idea of redemption, this is why this is so important when you're reading in the law that you can read page after page after page of these laws of how servanthood and redemption and all of these things work. And it may seem strange to us as we, as we read those things to, to wonder why well, how on earth is this relevant to us? But this is because God very much cares about this idea of of redemption, of, right. of being being bought back out of serv- out of servitude, or in our case, bought back out of slavery to to sin and death. And so these are these are two ways for sure that we've talked about in depth: is forgiveness, redemption. There are sort of many other elements of. In, in which sin has broken something and atonement helps to fix that. And as people throughout history have considered these things, various theories about atonement have come up. Some people have sort of thought that one element of atonement that we've talked about is maybe primary and others are secondary and other People might believe atonement was specifically for one purpose. Others might believe it's for another. And we want to spend a little bit of time talking about some of those various theories. There are a list of them that throughout various times in history have, have been held and taught. And so for, um, for the next little bit, we're going to discuss some of these theories of atonement and also give give a, or tip our hands a little bit as to which one we think is, is most biblical, most scriptural and most true. Yeah, so we we could start with just the fact that um because sin is so pervasive as we've already said, then we need we need Christ's death to deal with all of the various aspects. Yeah. And and so what Christians have tried to do throughout the ages is they've tried to read the Bible in light of what are the different problems that sin creates and what is the solution that the cross presents. So well-intentioned, often well-intentioned, sometimes it goes awry, mm-hmm. but we've got various ideas then to how sin is dealt with. So we'll, we'll go sort of 
maybe as much as we can in some chronological order here, because some of these are older and some of them are newer. One of the oldest theories of atonement that we would have going back in, into church history is this, this idea of, of ransom, this, this ransom theory of atonement, which was attributed, I think, largely to, to origin in the, mm-hmm. the early church. And this is a theory that really emphasizes that this idea of ransom and, and redemption and historically has sort of been taught as that Jesus paid a ransom to Satan specifically right. that that's been, that was a pretty common belief in the, the early church that you know, Satan as the King of this world has us all bound, bound in his dungeon and Jesus, Jesus dies and pays the penalty specifically to Satan to free us. Now there, there are some problems with that position. I don't think it's widely held today in a lot of circles, but what would you say to, to that, Andrew? Well, first and foremost, we don't have any evidence in scripture right. that the penalty is paid to Satan. Yeah. Uh, yes, there is there is a penalty and yes, there is a payment, but scripture does not say that it is ever paid to Satan. And and this very idea just doesn't make any sense at all that why, why would Satan receive a, a payment? Um, obviously in the early church that as, as you've so well defined, uh, people thought because we are bound by Satan and sin and chains, that that's must, that must be where the payment goes. But, but just simply put, the Bible doesn't say it. And so we then ought to be very cautious about such an idea and just matter-of-factly say, no, that's, that's incorrect. For sure. Probably not the, the best way to understand atonement. I think we would both agree. And another popular theory of atonement, uh, moral influence, this idea that there wasn't necessarily a penalty that God needed to have paid, but that God sent his son to, to show us how much he loves us, to give us an example of how to, how to trust and obey in God and to, to by in doing that to cause us to be grateful and thankful and turn to him in faith. This, this idea that it was more of a, a moral statement that God made to us rather than a, a punishment to be paid. This is the, the moral influence theory. What would you have to say to that one, Andrew? Yeah, I think that comes from Peter Abelard uh, in about the 1100s yeah. around there. Um, and and primarily, I think it comes from uh, Jesus' statement that um, when he's talking to the woman who who broke the uh, broke the jar of, of ointment on his feet, that... Um, that that her story would be remembered, um, and that this sacrifice was a, a great display of love. Mm-hmm. Now, Abelard, I think, totally misunderstands the point of that story, yeah. and so he builds a theory of atonement that uh, while there are some truths, and I think always there's there's truths here that yeah. that we don't want to just brush off or dismiss. Uh, the reality is that that the cross, yes, it's an example. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is a display of love for God so loved, God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son. But it's more than just some example. We, we can see in scripture that the, the cross becomes an example. Um, we can look at places like Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives, uh, just as Christ loved the church and mm-hmm. gave himself for her. So, so, Christian men are to model their husbandry, uh, how they how they love their wives, after how Christ has loved the church. 
but that isn't necessarily the the starting point. It's it's definitely an influence mm-hmm. of what the cross does. But uh, we need more than an example because we we're bound in sin. We're we're captured. We're slaves. We have an actual problem. We have a real problem, and yeah. it's not just an example that we need to follow. It's that we need someone to rescue us. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a good example of how it's important when we're reading scripture, especially to understand it theologically, we we need to be careful not to take a one passage out of context or to use one passage at the exclusion of all others to to help us understand it, to, to build a an entire idea, theory of the atonement based on that this one story of the of the woman who anoints Jesus' feet is not really playing fair with scripture and everything that scripture has to say. We even talked last week about how much atonement is in the Old Testament mm-hmm. and how much of that isn't in this idea of sort of example and moral influence. And so we, we want to be careful when we're reading scripture to understand mm-hmm. theology, to make sure we really look at the entire Bible, to look at everything it says and not just to take one one passage and use it to drive absolutely all of our theology, especially one that is maybe less clear and less straightforward when we have other passages that are very clear and very straightforward. And so th- these are two theories. We've got a, a third theory that is is quite popular. It's It's been said that this has been the, the most popular theory of atonement uh, throughout church history. It's It's got a nice, a nice Latin name. We call it Christus Victor. Christus Victor, this idea that Jesus defeated sin and death, that this is kind of the primary emphasis of the atonement. And while certainly it is true that Jesus defeated sin and death, uh, some have argued, and I think rightly so, that there's maybe more to atonement than that. So what what is your sort of take on Christus Victor, Andrew? Yeah, so this this, uh, idea that, uh, that Christ has achieved victory uh, it we could look at a passage like um, Colossians two uh, verse fifteen where where Paul says he's disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing oh, triumphing triumphing over them in him and mm-hmm. in reference it's it's by the cross yeah and so to that I want to say a hearty amen yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Christ has defeated the power of sin. Uh, Gustav Alain, he uh, he's the one who popularized the idea or the label Christus Victor, though it exists it existed long before throughout church history. Um, this idea that it's it's the defeating of the powers of sin and death and 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 the principalities and powers, and to which I want to say yes, I totally agree. Um, however, is that is that what the is that what the cross does or is that an effect of the cross? Mm-hmm. And so it seems to me that the effect of what the defeating of sin does is it puts to shame these principalities and powers. Uh, there's no doubt about it. We need the power of sin broken. And so Christus Victor, absolutely. It is a helpful picture. It just needs to be framed up in a helpful way because the, the problem that we face is far deeper than just having a power defeated. I can have, I can have a power defeated, but that still doesn't free me. Yeah. Uh, it, it means that just the possibility of freedom exists. And so more than just having powers defeated, I need something more. Absolutely. And so that's going to bring us then, we, we've given a couple of theories of atonement that that we think certainly it contain some elements of truth, but maybe are 
more secondary to what the actual purpose of the atonement was. And so we're going to spend the last couple of minutes here in this podcast giving just a bit of an introduction on something that we're going to actually speak about in an entire episode next week. Uh, the the uh, theory of atonement that uh, we hear and many, many other like-minded Christians throughout the world would hold is, is a, a category called penal substitutionary atonement, a nice big word, a nice complex title for a category, one that we are going to jump into in a full episode next week, penal substitutionary atonement, we would argue is that the best way to understand the cross, the best way to understand the atonement of Jesus, really the best way for us all to be thinking when Easter Sunday comes in a little bit here in just a matter of time. And so, Andrew, why don't you sort of wrap us up, give us just a bit of a a bit of a tease for what our next episode is going to be here, and then we'll we'll wrap things up and go into it fully next week. Yeah, so I won't give all of the definitions because next week that's exactly what we're going to to spend our time doing. But but in a nutshell, penal substitutionary atonement means that someone was the substitute who paid the penalty for my sins so that I could be set free. And what that then uh, what that then is uh, in terms of what's happening if we talk about uh, a foundation for atonement that the first thing that we need is we need we need the the penalty that we deserve to be addressed we need someone to do that for us because we're not capable of paying that penalty in and of ourselves we don't have the moral purity to do it we don't have the right standing to do it so we need someone to to function as a substitute for us and then as a result of that this is what brings us into right relationship with god and with others um, and and it becomes this central focus out of which then the power of sin is defeated so that we can walk in newness of life. It gives us the ability then, the, the penalty removed allows us then to, to not just know of, of an example, but to live that example because no longer do we live under condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Romans uh, 8 verse 1. And, and then even the the display of the love of God, we can make a sacrifice um, to to love others, um, but it's all rooted in this right heart that has been reconciled to God. And so, so having a penalty paid by a substitute so that we could be right with God, it becomes foundational. And we can see that throughout scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, Colossians 2, it's, it's very clear that in Colossians 2, that, that what Jesus is doing is that uh, we, are, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were made alive together with Jesus, having our sins forgiven, our trespasses, because he canceled the record of debt that stood against us. And so all of these things then free us. And then the power of sin uh, doesn't hold sway over us. We can show the love of God through personal sacrifice, forgiving others, being radically generous by this very foundational work of what Jesus has done. So we've talked a little bit today about atonement. We've talked about all of the ways in which sin has 
caused brokenness and damage and separated us from God and destroyed really everything in so many ways and how atonement speaks into each one of those issues specifically. We've seen various theories on what atonement is and next week we're going to get into in a full episode uh, penal substitutionary atonement. The, the idea of atonement that we believe is most faithful to scripture, most accurate, and gives us the clearest sense of what atonement is. And so look forward to that next week. We hope to have you all join us then. Till then, have a wonderful week and we will see you all then. Bye.